You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today, we have a special guest missionary with us. Let's prepare our hearts as our guest missionary brings forth God's truths from His Word today. God is good. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Do they see Jesus in me? Important question. Let me ask you a little bit different question this morning. Do you see Jesus in your trials? I think there is a malady amongst Christians today, and that is that we get so busy serving God. And it's important that we are busy serving God. I'm not in any way saying that's bad. But sometimes we get so focused on doing and doing and doing that we lose sight, not of the reason, but of the reason. Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, it's all about Christ. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not even about the ministry. It is about Christ. And sometimes we are so busy that we lose sight. And there are some times when God has to remind us of that. And there are some times when trials come into into our life. Not by any fault of our own. But God, in his wisdom, allows these things, and we don't know why. And we might never know why until we are standing beside him in glory, looking at the tapestry of our life and seeing what he has done. I mean, we don't know why. You know, we're busy serving the Lord and we go off to the Philippines and get dengue fever or we we go and and, and we're doing well and then a a dear one dies in our life or or whatever. We, We just don't know. And if we're not careful, Satan will allow these things to derail us and to create problems. Now, the illustration that I'm going to give you this morning was introduced to me by a a friend, uh, Nathan Dietrich. He he pastors in a foreign country called the South. And uh, in any case, uh, but uh, let me tell you a a, a missions story this morning. And by the way, this is true because you can Google it. And anything that you can Google is true, of course. but, uh, no, I, I've, I've heard this from other sources as well. So let me just share with you the story of David and Siva Flood. Have you ever heard of David and Siva Flood? Okay, all right, your pastor has used it as an illustration. Otherwise, I'll switch sermons. No, okay, all right. No, seriously. David and Siva Flood were from Sweden. And the Lord laid uh, the Belgian Congo on their hearts and they left and they traveled down to a mission station in the Belgian Congo and, and there they met up with uh, another couple, the Ericsons. And they prayed and the Lord was obviously sending them to a village uh, a ways away and beside this river and as they made their way to that village and as the four of them entered thinking, ah, this is where God has called us to and we will immediately preach and people will be saved. And, and uh, instead the chief came running out and said, you must leave. And they said, why? And they said, you will upset our local gods and so you, you must leave. They said, but God has called us here. And they said, he said, I'm sorry, you can't be here. And they said, can we just go up on that hill and, and, and live up on that hill? And he said, well, I suppose you can go live up there. And, and he, they said, can we come down and buy it? No, you cannot come down to the village. Um, 
but I will send a, a boy up and he will take you anything that you need and you can buy and sell through him. And so they thought, well, okay, God has called us here. So they went up on the hillside and they built their mud huts and the, there they planted a garden and began to, to live and they were waiting on the Lord. But the problem is that in Africa there is a thing, uh, it's not dengue fever, it's malaria and it is uh, very prevalent. My wife had it when, when we were in malaria, she still kind of has it. But in any case, in, uh, yeah, Cameroon, different part of the continent, but they all came down with uh, malaria at different times and they were weakened and Siva seemed to be getting it the worst and uh, she was weakened and finally the Ericsons said, this is crazy, uh, we must have misunderstood God, we're leaving and they went back to the mission sta station. But Siva convinced David that God had called them to that village and, and this little boy that was coming up a couple times a week, she was able to to share the gospel with him and in time he received Christ and, and he was able, she was able to continue teaching him and teach him to, to read and, and to understand the Bible a little bit. The problem is that they soon discovered that she was expecting and in her weakened state from malaria, and malaria is something that comes and goes but it always leaves you a little weaker and, and as time came by, they were fearful for her life as she was about to, to give birth. And sure enough, as they gave birth to a little girl, Ania was her name. And uh, the baby survived, but 17 days after the baby was born, Siva died. David Flood was brokenhearted. He did not understand. Why would God do this? God called us here. God brought us here and abandoned us. And he took his wife's body out in back of the hut and he dug a grave and he made a rude cross and he put Siva Flood's name on it. And there he went down and he got a, a, a man to carry the baby with him to the mission station. And he angrily gave his baby, Ania, to the Ericsons and proclaimed that he was not only leaving Africa, he was leaving God. Because how could God do this? And he went back to Sweden. You might say, well, that's a terrible story. That's a story of defeat. You're a missionary. You're to tell us victory stories, stories of wonderful things that God has done. Well, wait, there's more. <laughs> but have you ever been in a place where you said, where is God? How can this happen? Why would God allow this? Is he even there? Well, in Luke chapter 24, we see two of the disciples who were asking some of these questions. You see, there were many disciples. And there were only 12 apostles, but there were many disciples. And these two were disciples. The interesting thing is that the Bible tells us the name of one of them. Notice in uh, chapter 24 of Luke, starting in verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. You say, what things? Well, I think most of you understand that this was immediately after the crucifixion. And after the crucifixion, here these disciples were kind of left hanging. Um, they had 
forsaken their normal lives to follow Jesus, and now he's dead. Notice it says in verse 15, And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. Listen, friends, there are times when God reveals himself, and there are times when he's right there, but he does not reveal himself. And there are even times when he wants us to trust him, even though he's right there. He does not allow us to feel his presence because he wants us to learn to walk by faith. You might say, what, what do you mean walk by faith? Faith must be based upon God's word. Faith that is based upon my feelings is not faith. Faith that is based upon my desires is not faith. Faith must be based upon God's word or his clearly revealed will in my life. I had a guy once come to me and say, well, we need to build a gymnasium. And I say, that's great. Gymnasiums are a good thing. I love yours. You did a great job on that. It's beautiful. And I said, let's... Let's do that, but, you know, first we've got some other needs we need to take care of. And he says, oh, preacher, where's your faith? I said, really? Where do you find that? Okay. Now, yes, there are times when we know God wants us to build a gymnasium, and then we'd better build it, right? But to simply throw something out and say, oh, if I don't do this, I have no faith. No, it's got to be based upon God's word. And there are times when we need to say, wait a minute, I love it when I'm on the mountaintop and I feel God's presence and I feel his leading and I, I know it, but there are times when God wants me to walk based upon what I find in his word. And there are times when we don't feel his presence. And it's almost like he's holding our eyes so we don't see him right there. Well, here these disciples had that experience. And notice in verse 17, and he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? Another thing I love about my God is that he comes to us and he asks us questions. As you read the communications of Jesus Christ. And even in the Old Testament, when we see God coming and, and, and asking, he comes and he asks questions of us. He does not make accusations lightly. He tries to activate our conscience by asking us these questions. And, and there are times when God wants us to stop and ponder and think and remember what the Word of God has to say the things that he has done in the past. And here he's asking them these questions. Now, they look at him and they did not realize that it was Jesus. And they looked at him and they said, well, what? Don't you know? Don't you know? Notice in verse 18, it says, and one of them whose name was Cleopas, it's interesting, why does he only mention one of the, the names? Have you ever pondered that? Uh, you mentioned Myra's father. Her his opinion was that this was a man and his wife. And of course, in their culture, they wouldn't tell you the wife's name. Uh, and you say, well, but, but, but these were disciples. Disciples must be men. No, not necessarily. A follower of Christ 
Uh, you mentioned that the, uh, the men need some work, but the women are doing well here, you know. <laughs> I think when we get to heaven, men, we're going to find that in, uh, in the lines, the women are going to be ahead of us in a lot of these things. But uh, in any case, here we see that, that Cleopas asks the question, and he says, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known these things which are come to pass there in these days? You see, they were... They were asking some questions themselves. They were having some doubts. They were sad. And there are times when we ask ourselves the question, where is God? Where is God in this situation? The Bible says, in all thy ways acknowledge him. See him in everything. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Know him. And there are times when we do not see him in the circumstances which surround us. When you think that he's not there, my friends, he really is. <laughs> we need to see that. Why were they sad? Well, you see, they had assumed that this Jesus of Nazareth was going to be the Messiah, the one who was going to come. And, of course, they had always been told that the Messiah was going to rally an army and they were going to conquer the Romans and they were going to spread throughout the world and he was going to rule and reign. And, by the way, he is. Just not yet. You see, the first time he came as the suffering servant, and they did not understand that. They didn't like that. And so they completely disregarded all of the prophecies concerning the suffering servant. And we must be very careful that we don't use the smorgasbord approach to this book. We've got to take it all. And here, they did not understand and they were sad because it looked like Jesus had just pulled the rug out from underneath them. They had given up their lives to follow him because they were hoping that someday they would be able to, you know, be in authority with him as he was ruling and reigning. And by the way, they will, and so will you and I. But not yet. And they were saying, where is he? You ever been in a situation like that? I, I don't know what it might be. Maybe it's when the doctor looks at you and says, I'm sorry, but it's cancer. Maybe it's when you get that phone call or the police officer at the door saying you need to sit down. Maybe it's when your children come home weeping. I don't know what it is, but there are times when we are tempted to ask, where is God? My friends, when he seems not to be there, he is. When he seems not to know, he does. They said, don't you know? Don't you understand? Don't you realize what's been happening in Jerusalem? Well, listen, God does know. <laughs> Don't worry about God. He's on top of it. He knows all about it. You see... They asked the questions. And, and, you know, he, he, in verse 19, and he said unto them, what things? Did he ask because he didn't know? No. He wanted them to tell him. You know, it's interesting, this thing of prayer. There are some times when God just wants us to tell him. He knows. Oh, yes, of course he knows. But he wants us to tell him. I'll never forget one occasion in Warren where it seemed like my life was falling apart. I was having problems in, in the youth group, and it was, it was a disaster. 
And one Sunday night after church, and, and you know those Sunday nights. <laughs> and as I, I, I was just so brokenhearted, I went out to this, this park that was near our house. And as I, I, I went to that park, I, I went out where I knew where no one could hear me. And I just cried out to God. Now, I was very careful not to accuse him falsely, but I was angry. My God knows. But there are some times when we just need to pour our hearts out to him. Don't be afraid to do that. He wants us to. Notice what they said to him. He said, and they said unto him, uh, middle of verse 19, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we had trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. Can't you hear the wife saying that verse? And then the man uh, coming back in, uh, yea, uh, and notice in verse 23, and when they found not his body, they came saying that he had also seen a vision of the angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. I, I always read that. I can hear the, the woman, the wife, or in any case, I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Notice verse 25, our Lord says, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and entered into his glory? Isn't this what God planned? Didn't he tell you in his word that this was exactly what he was going to do? And there are times when God comes to us, and, and I love the way he treated Elijah. You remember when Elijah said, well, just, just kill me. Jezebel is going to kill me. You might as well kill me. And then I love this, for we are no better than our fathers. Of course not. <laughs> but did, did, did God, you know, you know and, and uh, accuse him? You know what he said to his servant? He said, take a nap. <laughs> And then when he woke up from the nap, he said, here, eat this. <laughs> now, go back to sleep. And then he woke up again, now eat this. And then he spoke to him, not in the whirlwind and not in the lightning and not in the earthquake. He spoke to him with a still, small voice. This is our God. He knows what we need. He knew what they needed. He came to them and he said, oh, fools and slow of heart. Shouldn't this have happened? Didn't I tell you? Isn't this what was supposed to happen? Verse 27, and, and, and the beginning of Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Wouldn't that have been great to hear? Honestly. Uh, but they constrained him, saying, oh, verse 28, and they drew nigh unto the village where the, whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us, for it is towards evening. And the day is far spent. And he went to tarry with them, and it came to pass as that he sat at meat uh, with them that he took the bread and blessed it and brake it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, 
Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened unto us the scriptures? I believe that part of the reasons God, God did this was because we are always craving the feeling of his presence. And I think one of the things he was trying to teach them was, I'm leaving now, but you've got something better than my presence, and that's my word. You look at the emphasis that God places upon his word. In John 1, 1, he compares it. And actually, he, he states that there is no difference between Jesus Christ and his word. Have you noticed that? We often say, oh, to feel his presence. That's great, and it's wonderful when we feel his presence. But he's given us his word, walk by faith. Notice, there are times that we say, he's not here, but he is. There are times when we question whether or not he knows, but he does. There are times when we feel that he's not at work, but he really is. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you expected God to do something and he didn't? And you thought, wow, the deadline came and went and God didn't do anything. God missed the deadline. God never misses any true deadlines. Okay, he knows. And just because he doesn't do it in our timing or in our way does not mean that he is not God. It does not mean that he does not love us. It does not mean that he doesn't know. It just means that he's got a better way. And we need to learn to trust him in that. When he seems not to be there, he is. When he seems not to know, he does. When he seems not to be at work, he is. When he seems not to care, he really does. Have you ever questioned God's love? Have you ever thought about the fact that God did not have to do it the way he did it? God is God. He can do anything he wants. Anybody want to argue with that? No? Okay, good. We've established that God is God. <laughs> Could he not have just forgiven all of our sins with a decree? Couldn't he? I mean, have you ever thought about that? He could have just said, okay, I have decided all of your sins are forgiven. But he didn't do that. Instead, he sent his son from heaven's glory to the poverty of this life to live 30 years in an uneventful life and then have that ministry where he was accused and condemned and questioned and mocked and ridiculed and all of his past was brought up and thrown in his face, the past that was not true but imagined about his conception, all of the things of his life, Satan was doing his best to defeat him and there, on that dreadful day where he was beaten and whipped and accused wrongly and sent to the cross to shed all of his blood. And probably the worst of those things was when God had to take all of your sins and mine 
and placed them upon his son. The Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Think about that one for a moment. I will stand before God one day, not in my own righteousness, heaven forbid. I will stand before God, and just as long ago he saw my sins upon his son, he will see his son's righteousness upon me. And will he do that because I'm a good guy? I am not a good guy. All of my sins are as filthy rags, and yours are none better. And my friends, listen to me closely. You cannot get to heaven on your good works. I don't care what you are trusting in, if it isn't the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation that you received at some point in your time because you realized that's the only way to get to heaven. My friends, if you don't receive that free gift, you're on your way to hell because God hates you. No, he loves you. He's done everything he can. He's even demonstrated his love by not simply forgiving us, but instead sending his son to live that and to die that terrible death so that you and I could be saved. There has never been a greater act of love. There will never be a greater act of love. When it seems that he does not care, my friends, he does. And is it possible that that great love could only be exhibited through salvation? Or is it possible, my Christian friend, that that love is going to sustain us and carry us and meet our needs and go before us and bring us home? Is it possible that that love will not accomplish your needs, will not meet those needs, will not... Is it possible that we could ever be abandoned by God? Long ago... Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Jesus took our sins and was forsaken so that he could say to you and me, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You say, well, what about David Flood? God forsook him. No, no. God did not. Now, David Flood forsook God. We find out that David moved back to Sweden, got remarried, had four kids, dissipated his life in alcohol. But that little baby, Ania, she was given to the Ericsons. And the Ericsons uh, began adoption proceedings, but then the chief of the village where the mission station was decided that they should die and poisoned the Ericsons, and they died. You say, well, this just gets worse and worse. <laughs> well, along came another missionary couple, and they took Ania, and uh, they ministered there, and, and uh, when they went back on furlough, they realized that if they went back to Africa because they could not legally adopt Ania, who they had renamed to Aggie, and uh, they could not legally adopt her because her father was still alive living in Sweden, um, <clears throat> they realized they couldn't take her back to Africa or they would be separated from her. 
And so they, he, he, uh, the, the father took a church in North Dakota. And uh, little Aggie grew up there in North Dakota, went to Bible college in the Twin Cities. There she met a young man. He was called to preach, and uh, they went to another town in North Dakota, and he pastored, and the Lord blessed, and God did some wonderful things, and as time went by, he was uh, called to be the uh, president of a Bible college out in Seattle, so they moved out there. And years went by, and one day, uh, Aggie got a, in the mail, she got a magazine uh, that was uh, Swedish, she couldn't read any of it. Uh, there was a large Swedish community there in Seattle, and, and uh, she had some Swedish friends. And so she's looking through this magazine, and she comes across a picture of a grave and a rude cross with the name Siva Flood written across it. She realized, that's my mother. And so she grabbed that magazine and she ran quickly to one of the, her co-workers in the Bible college who spoke Swedish and said, interpret this for me. And they went and they read down through it and they read a story about some missionaries that had come, in, that had come to this little village in the Belgian Congo. Now it was known as Zaire. Uh, and uh, as they uh, ministered there, um, she died and he left with a little baby and, and that would have been the end of the story except for the fact that there was one young man that had gotten saved while they were there. And that young man, as he grew up and as he continued to read the Bible and to study, he became strengthened in Christ. And he asked the chief if he could start a school and train the children about how to read. And, and of course, because he had the Bible, he used that as a textbook. And the children started getting saved. And they went home and they told their parents. And parents started getting saved. And one of the children was the son of the chief. And the chief got saved. And, and this article told that there were 600 Christians living in that village. Well, it was shortly after that that the college gave this couple a 25-year uh, anniversary present for them to return to Sweden to kind of reconnect with her roots. And so they went, <clears throat> and while they were there, she wanted to find her father. Well, she went, and first of all, she found her uh, half-brothers and sisters, and, and she met with them and had a wonderful time with them. But they said, when you go to see the Father, do not mention God. He will fly into a rage. He hates God. Well, <clears throat> Aggie would not be deterred. She went to see her father, and her father was in tears and said, Oh, Aggie, uh, you know, Ania, leaving you behind was the worst decision I ever made. And uh, she said, Oh, Father, God meant it for good. And, of course, he flew into a rage. But she would not back down. And, friends, listen, there are times when people will rage. Let's be kind. Well, let's be sensitive, but let's not back down. And she said, oh, Father, I've got to tell you the rest of the story. And she went on to explain what God had done. And she told about her life and all God had done in her. And then... 
She told about what God had done through that one young man that had gotten saved under the ministrations of his wife. And over the course of the next two hours, God softened his heart. And as time went by, he came back to the love of God. He died two weeks later. But he died rejoicing in Christ. That's not the end of the story. It was just a couple of years later that they were invited back to London. And they went. And there there was a young man from Zaire who was telling about the fact that he had been saved in this village through the ministrations of a missionary, see of a flood, and, and how that she, he had gone and he had evangelized his village and how that they had continued to grow and they'd gotten some other books and, and they had started training some of the young people from that village to go out into the surrounding villages and how people in those villages had gotten saved and come to Christ and how there were, brace yourselves, 110,000 Christians living in that area of Zaire. Afterwards, he went up and he introduced, she introduced herself as the daughter of Siva Flood. And he began to weep. And he pleaded with her to come to Africa and to see. And they did. And as she walked into that village, this time welcomed. <laughs> there were people who had gone and welcomed people from all of the other villages and it was full. Together they walked up the hillside and she knelt upon the ground in the soil of Africa upon her mother's grave and wept. And as she did, that young man quoted from John chapter 12, verse 24, I tell you the truth, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. He was reading this in the French. But if it dies, it produces many, many fold. Listen, you don't know the effects of your life. You don't know what's going on. You don't see the big picture. We can't. But God does. God has not called us to know everything. He has called us to faithfulness. And so when you and I are tempted and we say, you know, it seems that he's not even here. He is. When he seems not to know, my friends, he does. And when he seems not to be at work, he is. And if he ever seems not to care, Please realize that he does. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.